Hello, my name is Justin LeClue, and I'm here today with Will Sloan, and you're listening to The Important Cinema Club, and this week, we're selling out, talking about topics that everyone has talked about. That's right, it's Big Sember. Mm-hmm. Last week, I announced it as Big Denver, <laughs> and there was a... I actually said it recently to Emily, I was like, is it Big Sember or Big Denver? There was a confusion in my head because December starts with a D, mm-hmm. and also I think Big Denver sounds funnier. <laughs> yes. But it's actually Big Sember. Oh, really? Will there be Big Sember? Big Denver factions that split up. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Right in. Tell, let us know what which one you are. So in Big December, we're talking about big big subjects, mm-hmm. things you've heard of, things you know, things you love, and things that maybe like today's subject have been covered ad nauseum. And because of that, I've done something I've never done for the show. I did no research. Oh, and you know why? Why would I even walk into the muck of trying to describe Star Wars or give dates? Has there is there any other franchise in the world that has been more kind of you know, researched and cataloged. And debated. Yes. Did Greedo shoot first? Endlessly. So the way that I want to approach this is we're going to talk about the movies, but we're going to come at, to it from like a personal perspective, speaking from our kind of like experiences or even what we take from the films today. From the heart. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I also did no research. Frankly, I think it was heroic of me to even watch the movies. I saw you watched all three of them. I watched all three of them because look... I take my job that seriously, Mm -hmm. but listen, we've all seen these movies Mm -hmm. multiple times, probably. And did I really gain anything from the experience of watching them again? No, probably not. Probably not. They were exactly what I thought they were. They were exactly what I remember. They're exactly the movies I've seen a million times. Well, I haven't seen these Star Wars films maybe in a decade, I think. The last one was probably Empire Strikes Back when someone played a 35 millimeter print for their birthday. Mm -hmm. And even when I was watching it at that time, I was like, oh man, I've seen this so many times. So I will say that reviewing it this week, it felt a little fresher as well. I also want to say that we are both fortunate because we own a great bootleg Blu-ray set. Where is it? People have emailed me being like, where can I get it? Even though we don't condone of it because it's a bootleg. I, of can, course. I condone it. It's fine. So you can get it at sloppysecondsales.com. There are a number of other websites where you can get it. I would also recommend checkarchive.org. Every now and then someone posts the kind of scans of Star Wars prints that like there is a fan community out there. It's very easy to find that people have like like dedicated their life to getting the best version of the Star Wars films to the point that I was looking at their forums recently and it said, we want to buy a film scanner just for Star Wars, these three related things. And this is my big issue with Star Wars is it doesn't need to dominate pop culture as much as it does right now. Well, yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. So, I mean, the the reason why I recommend watching them on these Grindhouse scans, which I said SlobbySeconds.com, you can also get them at (laughs) MoviesRUSA. Maybe maybe people listening to this 10 or 15 or 100 years in the future will search those websites. Websites and and they'll still be up, right? Yeah, I'm sure. But I recommend watching them in these Grindhouse versions because, you know, there are some people there have been these experiments to try to create, what, what did Star Wars look like exactly when it played on opening night in 1977 if you look at some of those scans there's like 14 
15 audio tracks right. because there's like oh the original mono one a stereo one the 70 millimeter track that george lucas famously went back and like re-edited while it was still in theatrical distribution because from opening day in 1977 to now there have been so many different alterations everybody knows that in 1997 there were the special editions which have become sort of the default version with you know a, a few new surprises i think it was marketed as so. i mean but for us i think we're more defined by the vhs releases right the so, thx yes. approved one so in 95 or 96 i'm not quite sure when there was a a final release of star wars in its original form and and, and then it, then there was the special edition that had a bunch of new scenes and enhanced special effects yeah we don't care about that though but the the thx edition it was on vhs and there was an interview at the beginning between george lucas and leonard malton i could not hit that fast forward button faster <laughs> get it out of here yeah. get it out of here and yet and yet uh i saw the beginning of that interview it, so many times hi i'm leonard malton <laughs> Do, doesn't it doesn't it feel incomplete a little bit now without leonard malton i would agree just yes. like how tim burton's batman feels incomplete without the diet coke commercial with alfred the butler <laughs> oh did that begin on the vhs yeah yeah hello gotham corner store we seem to be down to our last oh, yeah. diet coke. then it cuts to the batmobile like Duh. a gentleman is on his way just look for the black car mm -hmm. but we can only speak from our perspective you know young youngings listen to this they're like that is so foreign to me having to take the vhs out and put it into the rewinder and prob the probably blowing it like you would an n64 <laughs> cartridge and that's why you'd have to see leonard Malton every time because it had to go all the way back to the beginning rewinding a movie can you believe that so okay so those are a couple of different versions but ever since 1977 george lucas and fox and disney presumably have tinkered with it in a million ways given a little, little facelifts little shots of botox little sound effects here and there to to make it look like look like a modern movie it's done it's not a modern movie stop it stop it and all so, of you to jail and to so jail that's for what why the the only version i recommend are these grindhouse prints on sloppy second films.com mm -hmm. whatever the fuck it's called where where they took old 35 millimeter prints from the time well-loved battered 35 millimeter prints and scanned them and did no restoration whatsoever and you can see what it would look like if you were seeing this movie seven weeks into its run. I mean, let's be honest, Sloppy Seconds definitely did not do that. They probably took somebody right. else's thing. Somebody did. Yeah, somebody, somebody did. did. And look, whoever did it also didn't own it, so no, it's fine. Yeah, you know, all these people are heroes because... This is the way the movie should be watched. It is something that is in amber, and while it continues to be, you know, watched and enjoyed, it does not need to be updated, especially if those previous versions are mercilessly just taken away. And I also think this is the only version of the movie that I want to watch because what do we know about Star Wars? What do we know about its place in film history? It, it's, it's way too dominant. It's way too dominant. And... The myth is, at least, that you had 10 years of easy riders and taxi drivers and Chinatowns and straw dogs. And, and George Lucas was in that circle of new Hollywood filmmakers. Right. He was at that beach house watching the topless Margaret Kidder just lay down and suntan. That's right. He was there with... He was like, oh boy. Brian De Palma and, and all those fucking guys. No drugs were being done, of course. Francis Coppola, the whole gang. And he was, in fact, Francis Coppola's protege, was he not? Mm -hmm. He was indeed. And, and Francis Coppola has said in many interviews like oh you know it's too bad star wars came along he had so much to give us i mean brian de palma did a rewrite on the 
opening crawl, didn't he? Is that true? I didn't yes, know I believe because when Lucas showed the rough cut and he had that like World War II footage in place of some of the special effects, uh, his friends were not fans of it. So, well, I mean, there's the famous story that like he screened the movie for all those guys for like Coppola and mm-hmm. De Palma and all those guys, and they all like laughed at it. Yeah, exactly. They, they thought it was shit, and well, he's laughing all the way to the bank now. Yeah, with no friends in <laughs> yeah. a gigantic library. Xanadu. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what do we know about his place in the culture? There was that great flowering of interesting and experimental and very difficult sometimes American films, movies that took American cinema to a new oh, level of man. artistry. I love the monkeys. There's a feature film with them in it. <laughs> yeah. What the hell is this? <laughs> yeah. And audiences were starting to get just a little bit tired of getting bummed out every time they went to the movies. They're like, uh, can we get that Dr. Doolittle that speaks to animals? Bring him back, please. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Why does it have to be Chinatown all the time? Why can't it be a galaxy far, far away? Mm-hmm. And so George Lucas came in and made a movie where the novelty was, hey, you remember those old adventure serials they used to love as a kid, presumably? He wasn't a kid when those came out. No. Maybe he saw them on TV. Mm-hmm. But those old Flash Gordon, low-budget serials, and it's like, what if we did that sort of thing with state-of-the-art technology, great special effects, top-flight talent in front of and behind the camera, and also, what if it had no greater depth than those original serials? Mm-hmm. Well, that, would, that may be a little. Yeah, a little uh, I have a little book case. here called "The Secrets of Star Wars" that goes through every draft <laughs> before Star Wars actually came to the screen. Uh, okay, maybe I'm overstating the case a bit, but what I do find with, especially when you see like the special edition or the version of Star Wars that's playing on Disney Plus right now, is yes, it sort of looks like a movie from the '70s, but it tells you nothing about the '70s. Most big franchise movies, if you watch any Batman movie, any Planet of the Apes movie, any I don't know, a lot of franchise movies at least. I don't want to keep overstating the case. Mm-hmm. But if you watch a lot of franchise movies, they will tell you something about the times they're made. Not Star Wars. It is, it's timeless, and that can be either a good or bad thing, depending on your perspective. It's vacuum sealed. It's Teflon. And wait a minute, I'm looking here at Return of the Jedi, and aren't the little furry creatures supposed to be representatives of the Norse Vietnamese? Oh, that's right. So this is actually something that I do. Well, also, like the Rebels in the first movie, according to George Lucas... They're, you know, Luke and Leia and Han, they're the Viet Cong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the way that he viewed it. And if you look at what he was working on before that, Mm -hmm. let's not forget the original version of Apocalypse Now, where George Lucas was like, we're just going to go to Vietnam. We're just going to shoot it this way. We're going to do a guerrilla style. But I also want to say, in no real meaningful sense of the the (laughs) Viet Cong, because what is Darth Vader in that first movie? He is uh, a a bad guy. Yeah, a lackey. In fact, fact, he's even, he's telling people to come to the dark side. It's literally called the dark side. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is the level of moral nuance we're talking about. But at the same time, I think that you're giving Star Wars a little bit of a disservice because Mm -hmm. it feels lived in and present in a way that people were not able to connect with. For example, the classic serials, who those were hermetically sealed in a way that was false and cheap and phony that children enjoyed. But Star Wars was, you know, Lucas going in with his love for that and giving it a texture and a dirtiness and a lived in feel Mm. that kind of brought people in and allowed them to stay there. The bars closed and you could not leave. Well, and maybe the best scene in A New Hope is when they go to that. Yeah, exactly. The canteen, which there's nothing i can say about this movie that hasn't been said by a million people Mm -hmm. so i'm just gonna say it anyway feels like oh look 
look at all these characters. All these characters could have their own story. Uh, I, they do right they here do now. In, the in the well. When I was a kid, and I read Tales from the Moss Eisley Cantina book, which every character gets a little short story and there's a picture <laughs> of them over it. Yeah, there you go. Because that's what happens and, when there's a dominant, you know, thing that that's all you want is the thing that you like, and oh, it envelops everything. And then, and then, of course, there's they meet Han Solo there, and he says something like, "You don't know the Millennium Falcon? Well, it did the Kessel Run, and not in twelve parsecs." Don't worry, don't worry. The son of Lawrence Kasdan is going to figure <laughs> out, even though that parsecs are a unit of measurement, not a measurement of time. There I am. I'm an audience member in 1977, and I'm like, hold up, pause it. Yeah. What was the Kessel Run? I hope in 40 years there's a movie that tells me this. Or many novelizations and graphic novels that would explain mm. this kind of stuff, mostly published by Marvel and Dark Horse. But, but, but I, what's really great about that scene is when you watch it in the original version, there are just some shitty ass monsters that were cobbled together by Rick Baker mm -hmm. in reshoots. But when they did the special editions, they moved all of those like, hey, there's that crappy looking but lovable werewolf guy. And we're just going to get rid of them because we want it to be like everything is important in some way. Well, how about in the special edition in Return of the Jedi, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but at Jabba the Hutt's like palace, oh, his slave that dungeon, CGI, uh... that awful CGI band. Oh, my God, the special edition. I don't know. I've never encountered anybody who likes them. Oh, if you look, didn't I send you those comments from the Internet Archive? That's the first one I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Where the I've person never is seen like, anyone. no one's asking for the original versions. The special edition is selling like hotcakes, so please stop yeah, posting this. Of course stuff. it's selling like hotcakes. Because there's nothing else. Yeah. That's it. That's the only choice that you have. Yeah. I mean, maybe people who grew up with a special edition don't want, because I had totally forgotten that in Return of the Jedi, that music number is there, but it's just a big Muppet, like, you yeah. know, singing and dancing. My, it rules. In the special edition, it's it's nightmarish. And all the special editions, the 1997 special effects are just like, every 15 minutes, you're just <gasps> Sorry, assaulted I'm making by... a Jabba sound as he walks over his tail. Did I watch those making ofs where they're like, we needed to figure out how Han would, you know, turn around Jabba, because when we shot it originally, for A New Hope, it was a human being. Right. But now we know what he looks like. But we figured it out by just lifting him up he's stepping on his tail and then you have jabba react and you look at it in the movie like it looks like crap <laughs> like, yeah, it, it, just doesn't work. it absolutely looks like crap and also in a new hope jabba the hut is supposedly like he's just up and about he's walking around whereas mm -hmm. by the time you get to return of the jedi just a mere like, few years later he's the whale you know <laughs> yeah that's right uh, he let himself go all right i feel like we're getting lost in the weeds of nitpicking stupid bullshit let's talk about a new hope the plot is in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, you got you got Luke, and he's just trying to get, get some power converters. I want to go to Tashi from... to get my power yeah. converters. Yeah. <laughs> now, have you seen the deleted scenes of him like talking to his friends and stuff like that? Yes, I have actually. Uh, look how big nerds we are of this that we have. I don't, seen. It's funny. I don't even really like Star Wars, but I've seen I've I've seen it a million times. For the record, I love these Star okay. Wars movies. Yeah. Like I watched the first one, I was like, oh yeah, this is good. Okay, here's my relationship with Star Wars. Yeah. When I was five years old, no, maybe six years old, I remember my dad told me, you've got to watch Star Wars, and the first one was rented out. Now, did your dad like Star Wars? Yeah. Okay. Everyone likes Star Wars. Mm. So, But he knew that I would love it. And so the first one was rented out, so the first one I watched was Empire Strikes Back. Now, that is... And I remember my dad 
pointing to Darth Vader on the back of the box and said, that's Darth Vader. He's really evil. <laughs> so did it scare you? Well, that was dad explaining a movie to a child. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I watched Empire Strikes Back. Didn't take too long to figure out what was what. Mm -hmm. Loved it. It mm -hmm. was like the coolest shit I'd ever seen. So cool. I still remember watching it. I still remember. What is this magic pixie dust that Star Wars has for kids? I, I don't know. I remember I know. being at someone's house and it was like a mother's co-worker's son and Star Wars was just playing playing on the television mm -hmm. and it was the end and i was like what is this i had no concept of star wars and i wanted then to know everything about it so i'm trying to think about how i felt when i was a kid and i guess first of all you've got like we said before a big world with a lot of really cool creatures and stuff that i guess when you're a kid light up your imagination mm -hmm. you see that moss eisley cantina and you see all those things and it, you get fixated on all those things also mark hamill very childlike I mean, I never liked Mark Hamill as a kid. Oh, I loved Mark Hamill really? as a kid. I don't love him now. No. Let's look at his social media account. Yeah, oh, he, no. he's also lame and a loser in yeah. real life. But but in the movie, it's like, he's like you. He's your surrogate. Mm -hmm. He's young. He's out of his depth. Baby-faced. Well, in the first one, he's baby-faced. Mm -hmm. uh, there was an accident yeah. afterwards, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. And then you've got Han Solo, who is like the older brother. Mm -hmm. and the he's cool guy. Really cool. And he's also like a little bit out of your league to hang out with you know rewatching a new hope this time i was almost overwhelmed by all the stuff i could look in the frame and be like whoa look at that creature in the mm -hmm. back or look at that over there even them just like walking through shots yeah I, I i get that i get that and watching it as well i noticed like oh i bet at the beginning when r2d2 he sets his rollers down to move forward and in the theatrical cut there's a jump cut I bet there's that's fixed in the special edition. Of course it is. Of course. Boo, get out of here. Uh, I hate it. I, I hate, hate it, it so much. Okay, and just getting back to those like grindhouse Blu-rays that I highly recommend, it's like I love them because they situate the movie in the 70s. It's not timeless anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't like the timeless feeling. I don't like the timeless feeling either. I want it to feel like a 70s sci-fi movie, a state-of-the-art 70s sci-fi movie. I love seeing like little imperfections i love seeing what what the matte paintings really look like are they just sort of terrified that when kids will see it they will disconnect from it yes. because it's different but yes. I don't, will they I don't, I don't think, think they so. will. Yeah, because even if you watch that special edition, it does not look like a movie that was made today. I absolutely. In fact, I think the special editions do a disservice to it because Oh, they do. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, yeah. They do, believe it or not. But they really do a disservice to it because they're saying like, okay, well these are modern movies. These are these are viable entertainments that can compete with Marvel and that sort of shit. Like whatever the big blockbusters are right now on those terms. And they can't. I think they're better than a lot of those Marvel movies, but they're better in the context of being 70s movies. Yeah, I don't think it needs to be like a competition because if you right. show it to a five-year-old, they do not have, you know, the probably the media acumen to tell the difference between all this stuff. But but if you show it to me, I'm looking at a movie that's been scrubbed and airbrushed to look like it came out today, and mm -hmm. it obviously didn't come out today. Yeah, and so there's a feels, cognitive dissonance there. Yeah, and like, it, feel, it, feels, it feels bad, and it's like, if you're telling me this came out today, then it doesn't, it, it, looks, it looks like a 70s mm -hmm. movie, and it doesn't feel right. So I was talking about Will before we recorded that like you know the first star wars it's slow it, it takes a long time to get going i've always felt that way watching this time i was fine because mm -hmm. it's kind of like visiting an old friend or going back to an old house and being like oh wow it's bigger than i thought it was yeah <laughs> instead of being like it's tiny and bad and i don't like it which is usually how i think about star wars all the time because it's all consuming but what about empire strikes back 
you know, as a kid, I probably at one point said, well, Empire Strikes Back is my favorite because it's the dark one. To be honest, it was probably Return of the Jedi because I like Jabba's Palace a lot mm-hmm. and I like the Ewoks. Uh, watching Empire Strikes Back now, it definitely feels like the middle part of a chapter. And I- I'm always surprised that like very little happens in the movie. <laughs> that you have the Battle of Hoth at the beginning and then you have, you know, they split up. He goes to see Yoda. Luke does. Can I just say... Yoda is awesome. I love Yoda. No, he's he's the best character in all these. And like he is so animated, he feels alive. And then when you watch him in the prequels, he's so boring. I knew and he it, does nothing. I, I knew we were going to talk about this because yeah. like you see that Yoda puppet when the Yoda puppet mm. when the Yoda puppet makes a facial expression, yeah. it means something. Yeah, it carries weight. And he, you know, is alive and he's playful. And at first, he's doing it as a gag, like mm. you know, hitting R two D two. And he's physical yeah he has he has texture but he also has that little bit of playfulness as you go along but just like star wars george lucas felt oh well yoda is serious he's a master not allowed to have any fun and it's like why did you make star wars it's this weight that's just weighing on george lucas sucking all the fun that like oh if i was a kid i'd want to make a serial adventure as well just tossing off like oh yeah the clone wars in the first star wars you don't know what it is doesn't mean anything maybe you want to know more but that's the magic of it you don't don't need to know those things also if you're talking about which yoda looks more realistic which i think is the lamest mm. lens through which you could view this sort of thing let um, me look at the commercial where they go yoda man and then look at the yoda in empire strikes back and the yoda in empire strikes back looks like he's there mm-hmm. you know and you you buy him you you buy into the reality in the same way that you do with the muppets mm-hmm. you know because like there are human hands manipulating this thing yeah frank oz is under there like doing yoda moving him around making him feel alive with the dialogue he moves like a spoken. person you yeah. know in his way someone's jumping in now it's like well frank oz actually didn't really maybe he yoda. was remote controlled i don't know <laughs> yeah, I, it doesn't it, matter fuck it you know what, we, what yeah. we're talking about what do you think of empire strikes back i like it mm-hmm. it's definitely my favorite of the three i mean with all of the star wars movies i honestly run up against like a certain feeling of like it's never about anything more than just what it's about but you does know? it need to be about it, that it, well, it's like if we're if we're talking about like are these movies in sort of the elite tier? Are these okay. movies more? Are, are these movies just like fun escapist stuff? Yeah. And and if they are, they're great. Mm-hmm. They're great on those terms. But if they are like supposed to be your favorite movie ever, if yeah. they're supposed to be in that like these are some of the best movies of the seventies, which people I mean people so obsess they, over these so, things. So they have to mean something in a grander scale. All I know is that when I watch, they don't have to. Okay, uh, this is purely subjective. Because I'm looking at Batman Returns over. here here and i love fuck i love the characters in batman returns but you don't love the characters in star wars i think they're a little simple Mm -hmm. i don't know i think i think there's not a lot for me to grasp on to. There aren't a lot of... I mean, yeah. but we're talking about you, though, because clearly yeah. other people have been able to grasp onto them and hold them in a death grip, looking back at the joy they felt as a child, hoping that new Star Wars material will give them those things. And good for those people. It's like, I watch these movies and they're just... Everything about the characters and their relationships and and their struggles is just so kind of basic, right down to the fact that the villains are just... Well, I would make the argument that, you know, Will loves Batman Returns. He loves talking about Batman Returns turns he is not obsessed with batman like you you are not reading new batman comics you're not like no you want to see michael keaton play batman i I do want to keep batman like in a in a good 
like proportion. Yes, yes. I mean, when I was a kid, I loved all the Star Wars stuff, and I was in a place growing up where it wasn't completely dominant, but it was dominant enough that there was seemingly endless materials that I could explore if I wanted to. I had all sorts of toys. I had yep. all sorts of, you know, video games, Shadows of the Emperor, that's sort of Oh, thing. Shadows of the Empire? Yeah. When you, uh, yeah, what's the name of, like, Dax something? Yeah. Rendar? I, 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 yeah, that's right. That had its own character. Reading my Nintendo Power magazine to see the comic of, like, what actually happened to Dax? I mean, I did love these movies when I was a kid. <laughs> God, I'm thinking back of, like, reading, like, use novels of, like, Jedi Academy. What's gonna happen to the twins of Han and Leia? Right, okay, so you went deep into the <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was very present universe. in my young life. I didn't get that deep into it, but Star Wars was definitely a major presence in my life from like 1996 to 1999 or so. Mm -hmm. And uh, like, as I said, watching as I was watching Empire Strikes Back again, it's I, I was remembering the feelings that I had when I saw it for the first time. I was remembering how like how engrossed I was remembering seeing those scenes for the first time and feeling remembering that engrossed feeling that I had. You know, for all of the kind of wonder that I got of watching A New Hope this time, when I watch Empire Strikes Back, I felt like the ending was so kind of like, hey, yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> like the big like Luke scene where he does not say, Luke, I'm your father. That is just the way that we've perceived it. That line is never spoken in the what film. What does he say? He says, no, yeah, I am, am your father. father. But before he says Luke like 30 times. Right. So that's why people make that association. Play it again, Sam. Yeah, exactly. And we've seen that clip like in a million AFI things for some reason or another. And so maybe that's why it's just drilled into my brain. So it's like a mixture of like Empire left me a little bit colder because <laughs> they're on the planet Hoth than I expected. While the first one, I was like, oh, there's more to explore there. And I think it's because I didn't watch the first one that many times as a kid. That if I'm going to the VHS at my dad's house, who he's the one who had him on tape, I was reaching for Empire or Jedi as the ones that I wanted to watch. Yeah. Where the adventure's already going. Instead of like, all right, we got to go get Ben Solo, and then he's got to watch this thing, and then we go to the bar, and then we, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Empire Strikes Back has, for me right now, the most compelling, you know, emotional stuff in it. Mm -hmm. I think some of the action set pieces are really cool. Like yeah. the final lightsaber fight between Darth and Luke oh, is, is beautifully choreographed and lit and executed. When I was getting into Hong Kong movies, I would look back at these Star Wars films and be like, Pasha, they're not like Ching Su Tung choreographed films. Now I watch them and I'm like, yeah, these are great. There's a reason yeah. people like them. They don't feel like even Obi-Wan and Darth Vader going at it in the first one. It's really enjoyable. Did you know that George Lucas wanted to add like CGI stunt doubles in that scene and have him doing like flips and shit? Oh, no. And then like people talked him out of it. And oh, like, you can't, God. you can't do that for the, that, that's going too far because George Lucas was a big fan of Hong Kong cinema. And he's like, I want to bring some of that Hong Kong flavor to the original Star oh. Wars. Oh, no. Oh, no. You know, George, how about you just make another movie? Isn't it incredible you watch these original Star Wars movies and certain of the most iconic scenes? I mean, in, in A New Hope, it's the, the scene of Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader having a lightsaber fight is so not action-packed. Mm -hmm. Or then there's the, the scene that was in every trailer of Luke and Leia just you know jumping over a gorge a gorge and it's like ah yes the peak of excitement and the and thing I was like, is where do you get that grappling hook right, like, right i'm sure there's an eight volume novel series i could read about the history of the grappling hook it was in his utility belt yes like batman but i mean those scenes which are so not action-packed do like have such a, a punch or like yeah. it works and even when you watch them now they do what is that magic pixie dust though like how did all those elements come together now did i look into star wars ripoffs because i was like this week being like why 
why was no one able to kind of capture that fun of it? Like, if you look at, you know, even something like Flash Gordon, which I like, but mm. is more campy and over the top, or, you know, ripoffs, like, for example, Roger Corman, Battle Beyond the Stars, which a lot of people like. Well, I think when you watch A New Hope, it seems like this very huge, expansive world, mm-hmm. and it is, but really, it, it the, the palette of it is actually quite limited. There's a dichotomy through the whole movie between steel and sand, basically. Mm-hmm. And so the whole thing has to work within those two modes. And then in addition to that, all of the characters, I mean, it's it's a very earnest movie, and all the characters have basically like a couple of really iconic registers. So there's, there's a great expanse to the vision, but there's also an incredible focus to the vision mm-hmm. that allows you to, like some of the Star Wars ripoffs seem very arbitrary. They yeah. seem very uncontrolled and undisciplined, which Star Wars is disciplined. And I would make the argument that a lot of the people making those films, except for maybe Luigi Coetzee when he made Star Crash, don't really like these things that much, that they're mm-hmm. making them because they think that's what audiences want. Mm-hmm. When Star Wars is infused by George Lucas and everybody working on the team like going towards a clear goal and wanting to do it in a way that honestly had never really been achieved. Like you watch that final trench run in a new hope and it's still exciting. Like oh, yeah. the things look like they're moving fast. And you know, when you watch something like that and you think about now, every time you see that, it's like, it's bad now though. Like why does it feel like there's speed and motion in these, they're, you know, enhanced optical effects versus like, you know, now that you have ultimate control over everything. Also, the incredible simplicity of Star Wars, which is something that I just complained about a minute ago, is one of the reasons why it's so effective, too, because it's like you've got your good guys, your bad guys, and the the good guys have a very clear goal. Well, Will, you need to watch up to season seven of The Clone Wars when they finally introduce characters that maybe there is a place between the dark and the light side. Well, and you know, in in fairness, I mean, Luke does find himself tempted by the dark, doesn't Mm -hmm. he? Whatever whatever the dark side is. Is there an argument that maybe Luke... Oh, God, I don't want to make any argument about Star Wars. They're like saying stuff about the Bible, like it has been covered okay, well, ad nausea. Hey, hey, how about I proffer one of my theories? Okay, okay, go, okay, go with it. This is something I was developing as I was watching it now. You know how Luke, after Obi-Wan Kenobi dies, is frequently revisited by the ghost of Obi-Wan. Yeah, and you want to know, like, what about his goddamn aunt and uncle <laughs> that he just witnessed burnt alive? Well, yeah, and you, and you think, well, obviously, people who have the Force, people who have, mm. like, a particular Force power, enough midichlorians or whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, they can... For, let's forget that. Mm-hmm. For the sake of argument, midichlorians do not exist. Mm-hmm. Certain force rich people are able to visit you from beyond the grave. But actually, I think they're figments of his imagination. Really? I think this is my, <laughs> I mean, this is my new theory. Okay. And then you can tell me if this has already been said. So by, do you think Mark Hamill or sorry, Luke Skywalker in it's return of the Jedi where Alec Guinness shows up and he's like, Oh, I'm tired. And he sits on a log. Oh, man, there's never been a more phoned in performance than that. Alec Guinness, who already hates this shit. Oh, he hates hated it. Hated it when he was moving in the first one. Yep. That's right. Uh, I'm going to sit down on a log and you can't make me not do that. So, yeah. So, you know, I, I think, in that first one when obi-wan says darth if you kill me i'll become more powerful than you can imagine he's not saying that literally he's saying yeah I'm, i become a martyr i become an idea uh, i have a little movie for you called the last jedi where that's literally what it's about at the end of the movie where at the end when luke skywalker sacrifices himself he's only doing it because he knows he will become an idea that other people can then you know strive towards and so now my theory is that whole that whole last act of the last jedi where adam driver is fired 
firing mm -hmm. at him and everything. That's all taking place in Adam Driver's imagination. Okay. <laughs> oh, sorry, Will. It's, it's not. It's not. This like, is the fan theory of like maybe Ferris Bueller is just a creation <laughs> yeah, of that yeah. other guy. Listen, here I am watching Star Wars and I'm trying to think of something interesting or new to say mm -hmm. about it. And so I come up with this stupid bullshit. Yeah. But no, listen, it's like in Return of the Jedi when Luke visits Yoda and says, Is it true? Is he really my father? And Yoda says, Your father, he is, or whatever. And then he dies. And then he's visited by Obi Wan. He's not really talking Obi Wan. He's not really talking Obi Wan's ghost. That's him dealing internally with why did Obi-Wan lie to me and did he lie to me and Obi-Wan says well read the fine print from a certain perspective <laughs> you could argue that I kind of sort of I think he actually says that He's yeah, like, yeah, I, say, I, from, I, from some perspectives yeah, I didn't really yeah, lie yeah it's it's not as if George Lucas was making this shit up as he went along no oh no no George Lucas had all of these six films planned out perfectly and that's why in in part four there's a love triangle with a guy and his sister <laughs> yeah and that everybody on the cast when they were revealed in Return of the Jedi that Luke and Leia were sisters, they went like, wait, what? Are you just doing this because you're trying to get another twist after the I am your father bit in the first one? Can we also talk about, it sucks that the world is so small in these movies. Mostly because they've existed so long and that grip is not let go of it. Man, it's it's so ridiculous. We're getting an Obi-Wan show to see what he did on the planet Tatooine. That'll be the fun. The whole point was he did nothing. Yeah, what, what, what did he do? Oh, he went and saved Leia? No. Leia? <laughs> no, he didn't. Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. No, thank you. And I love that reveal. It's so lazy in Return of the Jedi. I know. Where I think that Yoda's like, oh, there is another. Someone says that. And then Luke's like, oh, yeah. Wait, my sister's Leia. I got it. And it's like, wait, so you just... You just pulled it out of thin air so here? So did Darth Vader not know the whole time? I guess, no, he doesn't, because later on in the movie, he's like, oh, you have a twin, eh? And it's like, wait, what? Darth Vader would be so much more likely to know that Leia was his daughter than Luke was his son. I can guarantee you that there are comics or novels yeah. where a deal this is, but you don't want to get into this. Yeah, so. yeah, and, and I'm sure they're full of Obi-Wan saying, from a certain perspective, you <laughs> could imagine, you know, if you, if, if a moon is in Scorpio, and if this lines Darth up Vader with Darth Vader hit his head on a force rock, and it gave him amnesia. <laughs> specifically of only the existence of Leia. Oh my god. Wait, isn't the thing supposed to be that in the prequels he thinks the children died because that's what's told to them and that's why they're because he's not looking for them. Also, didn't Anakin Skywalker build C-3PO? So, like, <laughs> yes. when he sees C-3PO hanging out with Leia, isn't he like, wait, what the fuck? In, what the fuck? In the, what is it, the ninth movie? No, the eighth movie. Like, they erase... Is that the Rise of Skywalker? Yes, they erase C-3PO's memory, like, take it all away. Right. Wouldn't it have been cool if he's like, wait a minute, Darth Vader created me? Right. They don't even use that opportunity. Right. That's because, I don't know, like... The one big problem, and I do want to talk about Return of the Jedi, well, the one big problem of these movies, is that at this point in time, they don't want to create new things in the kind of, like, accepted canon. Back in the 90s and the 80s, you could create shit until the cows came home. No one cared. It's like, oh, yeah, what was Boba Fett doing? Who cares? Mm -hmm. But, like, now it's so locked down. No one wants to make any like you know choice that may have any ramification because it's billions of dollars that are on the line that we just get recycling of all this stuff over and over again remember when they made the solo movie and the lesson they took away from it was they don't want to see new actors portray classic characters so we will zombify them in oh, these new movies awful yeah what about return of the jedi so you love empire you go to return what do you what do you take away well from as a kid I, yeah. of course i love loved it. i love yeah. return too it's you get to find out that han lived after they put him in the cement. Oh, did you think that he died? No, I didn't think he died, but it's like, how's he going to get out of this one? Mm -hmm. They're just a machine on the side. They hit a bunch of buttons and he falls right out. He's yeah. blind now. T totally fine. Blind for like five minutes.
nuts. Now, did you get obsessed with Boba Fett? No. Really? A, I, lot of, I, a lot of people did. I was a Boba Fett kid. I was like, who is that cool guy who, in these movies, does nothing and gets taken out like a chump? I was a little confused about the cult following mm. around Boba Fett, honestly. Mm. So you didn't see that scene where, watching Empire, I forgot it was that short of all the bounty hunters, where there's like a robot, there's mm. like a, a lizard man. I thought just... Boba Fett was offed pretty unceremoniously in Jedi. <laughs> in Ret- Return of the Jedi. Just hit with like a stick. But you know, it's probably a ceremonial stick that was imbued with force powers because didn't you know that the robot that explodes and they get r2d2 instead that robot was a jedi oh man (laughs) yeah the expanded universe stuff or legends i think it's called now so it's not actually official but you know if you want to go into it you can but i would also suggest maybe watch other things too Yeah, I mean, I would say looking at these movies, whenever I look at them, I think these are perfectly fun, but it's a pretty pretty thin soil to build a whole but edifice they, on. They have, though. They have. Yeah. What, what and, can you and, say? And people keep In going my, towards yeah. it, and like generations have passed, and they keep watching it. Like, is there a cutoff generation where kids will be like, well, we don't like Star Wars anymore? Well, I do think it's interesting that in China, they never got the Star Wars no, movies. And, and they cannot get... like Star Wars in China to be hits no matter how hard they've tried. Throughout the 2010s, which was like a golden age of Hollywood blockbusters doing gangbusters in China, any piece of shit that Hollywood made that failed here would make $200 million in China. Look, we're giving you Donnie Yen! Donnie Yen's in your Star Wars movie! Star Wars could not gain any traction at all. Mm -hmm. None of the recent Star Wars movies have done well, and in fact they released, they finally released A New Hope in China in the 2010s. They'd never seen it before, and they didn't like it. They were like, what's this primitive shit? Well, so there you go. Are we, you know, the the thesis we said at the beginning that if you release it now, people will just... I, You see, I don't know because I do know that... Well, you I, know they gave them the special edition well, too. yeah, yeah. When I was a kid in 1997 or whatever watching Star Wars, I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. And maybe if you showed it to a kid right now, they would think it's great too. But I do think art does not exist in a vacuum and no matter how, many, shouldn't exist in how a vacuum. many special editions you do and how much refurbishing, there are a lot of external factors that play a role into whether or not it's received so will future generations continue to love star wars i don't know Mm -hmm. i don't know but how do you feel about people holding on to star wars and basically making it like a defining part of their identity i'm i am approaching it at this point really with more confusion than anything else yeah because i think i like i say i i these movies are fun enough yeah (laughs) these they're fun once a decade (laughs) yes in my in my opinion no disrespect to anyone who loves these. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm just a little confused. I would ask, what do you as a 38 year old or whatever like take out of it? Like every day of your life now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, at some point, it just comes down to they were children when they experienced this. Yeah. And it moved them, and that's why they're holding on to it. Yeah. That's why they keep and revisiting, that, and looking why, for that hit. And that's why they've hated everything made since 1983. Yeah, because they're not kids when they're experiencing. Yeah. It. And so they see Jar Jar Banks, and they're like, "What's this fucking shit?" And they're right. They're right. Well, it's shit. I mean, but, I love Jar Jar. Yeah. But, you know, people like I met one of Emily's friends who she does comedy with and 
this was not a joke. He was saying it with dead seriousness. He said, I think that Phantom Menace may be one of my favorite movies of all, all time. time. Yeah. And he's much younger than her. So I've maybe. Heard, I've heard that about, yeah. about younger people. They and love it. That may also be because when Phantom Menace came out, it was very dominant during that period. That like you could not turn a corner without being like, I guess I'm going to have to p- play 100 hours of pod racing on N64. Well, you know, The Force Awakens is still the highest grossing domestic release of all time <laughs> wow which is impossible to imagine because i don't know anyone who thinks about it <laughs> the force awakens yeah oh well, i, I guess think about it all the time it, yeah, yeah. I, I mean in the circles that you hang out like me when i talk to my friends we know someone we shall not name him he's a huge star wars fan that he consumes everything and does he love force awakens or i think he likes force awakens he like me loves last jedi and hates rise of skywalker but which he, is horrible yeah, yeah awful what an awful movie time is only just like milk left out in the sun yeah jj is in director's jail like we haven't heard from jj hope he stays there (laughs) yeah forever i have such a vivid memory of when the force awakens he was doing interviews and he was so down on himself and there was for some reason an interview he did with his wife and his wife at one point tapped him on the shoulder and this is during the first one force awakens she said i think that this is the best movie you've ever made and he went oh wow really you think so well thank you she is not saying that when rise of skywalker (laughs) came out but yeah like he clearly loves this world has lived in it long enough that he wants to keep revisiting it and going back jj does yeah. no 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 the friend i'm talking about oh, yeah yeah friend. jj wishes please let me back on star wars and like <laughs> no listen we're talking about peter kaplowski <laughs> we did a <laughs> podcast together about star wars where he made us watch the clone wars and like but he is someone though that he loves it he will consume any of the big stuff that comes out about it but he is not like obsessed or gets angry about well, he gets angry if it's bad, but not in the way that I see, you know, people out there in the world take it very seriously. Nevertheless, I did enjoy, as somebody who has had a chip on my shoulder about these Star Wars mm-hmm. things for a long time, for having killed the great 1970s cinema. <laughs> for having, Can you imagine for having that, made like, it so that it's illegal to make Heaven's Gate. I yeah, enjoyed, Heaven's Gate didn't have anything to do with that. Uh, Star Wars is the one that killed it. I, I did enjoy the opportunity to revisit and think about these movies a little bit, mm-hmm. and also try to have a little more empathy for them. Mm. I mean, I love these movies. I think they're great, and I love watching them, but I... It just bothers me that they are all over the place, completely dominant in a way that when I was a kid, it felt like Star Wars, it it just existed forever. There was a million things I could experience. I could not touch it. But now when I see all the stuff, it's like, hey, look, Han Solo's back and he's a zombie created by AI. And it's like, no, I don't want this. I don't want to revisit like shitty recreations of the photos of me as a child mm. like give me something new that's that's all i ask something new yeah <laughs> but they're not gonna give it to me that that is not the lesson that they're learning did you like andor i loved andor i thought okay. it was great there's something new yeah made by someone who very vocally was like yeah i don't like those star wars movies <laughs> so maybe that's what needs to happen is that someone very talented who can work in the world does their own thing did you hear that some of the marvel movies are political thrillers will or some oh, of them oh, are yeah. Yeah. Our heist film. Winter Soldier is is basically all the president's map. Mm-hmm. That's true. That explains why they have continued to go on and they have not had a dip in quality at <laughs> all. Our new Star Wars. Well, there you have it. The Star Wars episode, almost 400 episodes in. Mm-hmm. We've done 
internet, and now, do we have any letters? Literally no one ever asked for a Star Wars episode, but we're giving it to them. That's crazy that no one's asked for a Star Wars they episode. They know what we're going to say on it. I yeah. don't feel like we're going to come I in. know what I'm going to say on <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, but you you were really harsh on the first one when you watched in 2021, and you said you were a little bit softer this I time. Was like, I was maybe a little too harsh, mm-hmm. but like I say, it's not really my thing, and I came into it with a chip on my shoulder. Well, you know, I got my Star Wars tattoos, and I'm not getting rid of them. I walk into, like, Toy Store sometimes, and I see these, like... $800 busts of like some Star Wars character and I stare at them and go who is putting this in their home like if I walked in and I'm trying to think of like a Peter Cushing bust of like $800 well I, if you if you you know saw a hole in them and put a flashlight <laughs> oh that's what they're doing with it that's, okay. what, that's what it's all about that makes complete sense now I, uh, I mean I'd rather it be Jar Jar honestly mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, listen, did I like Jar Jar when I saw Phantom Menace? No. Do I like him now? Yes. <laughs> Everyone likes an underdog. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> listen, he's really our generation's Charlie Chaplin, doing all the slapstick <laughs> and uh, winning a war. Also, dooming the entire galaxy, I guess, was that one vote that he does. Yeah. All right. I mean, I say that. You haven't watched the prequels probably since they've come out, right, Well, Correct. Okay. Do you think maybe you'll watch those and be like, there's a lot going on here? There are people on Letterboxd who will tell you there are. (laughs) So you're not going for or against. (laughs) All right. So our first letter is from Stein Eric Rutledal. It's a very long letter. And this actually came way back when we were doing International Month. But he actually outlines some Norwegian filmmakers that we should check out, specifically some women filmmakers. And I just want to discuss it a little bit because I am sure that you have never heard of these filmmakers and maybe the listener hasn't either and there's stuff to go explore there for example there is edis Karlmar, norway's first female director who started a production company with her husband and then directed 10 films in 10 years her filmography is a mix of comedy farces and boundary pushing dramas about social issues wow you also have anja brayan the first big female director from the new wave generation with a film education from france you're familiar with the norwegian new wave right will i want to be familiar with mm-hmm. everything she was noted for her realist style with long takes deliberate slow pacing and non-chronological storytelling her most noted work was a female remake of cassavetti's husbands called wives which ended up spawning a trilogy that revisited the characters every 10 years (laughs) and then we also have webecca Luckaberg, a model and actress who started out co-writing films that she starred in for her first husband, who was the most prominent Norwegian filmmaker of the new wave generation. I need to know about this Norwegian new wave. <laughs> he was basically seen, I know that Stein is like, oh boy, he wants to learn about it. He's on our Discord. He's very nice. Any of these filmmakers, if you go on the Discord, perhaps will Stein throw a link towards you of films that maybe he subtitled himself? Maybe. So this filmmaker, he was basically seen as a messiah a figure by his contemporaries but after his third film was rejected by the Norwegian film board he shockingly retired from filmmaking and returned to the theater Vebeki had played the lead in both his films but had grown frustrated with the sexual nature of the characters and the roles she was being offered as a result they divorced in the early 70s and she started making short films of her own before her feature debut The Revelation about a housewife whose life is upended when her husband has an affair Amelia, Skin, and Seagulls are all period pieces showing unglamorous portrayals of dysfunctional families at the turn of the century. Especially Skin was controversial because of its 
portrayal of incest, but it played at the 1987 Cannes Film Festival. Her films were initially given harsh receptions in Norway, but have since been reclaimed, and she is now one of our most respected artists, although she has not made a feature film since 1991. All these filmmakers sound great. So... I, Norway we, month. Yeah, Norway month. Don't give Stein <laughs> the <Okay>. ammunition. Yeah. <laughs> but I would like to do some of these. Yeah, because yeah. he actually once gave me a list of like, these are the Norwegian filmmakers you should check out. Just and It was like dozens and dozens of films I have never heard of. So wow. I got this email, Stein, I know you're listening. And I just couldn't do it in the months where my wedding was happening. <laughs> Will was moving. There was too much going on to dive into these filmmakers. But we will absolutely be getting to them in the new year. So thank you very much much. Our next letter is from Juan and it is titled, More Godzilla! Well, I'm always happy to answer Please. that question. Hey Justin and Will, still thankful y'all did a Godzilla episode way back, but I was curious about what y'all thought about other Godzilla, in quotes, movies. I'm talking about movies such as Godzilla Meets Bambi, or Kozilla, the notorious Luigi Coetzee Godzilla film. The former has been ranked number 38 out of the top 50 animated movies by Jerry Beck, while the latter was, well, if you ever wanted actual footage of people dying in a Godzilla film, Godzilla is your chance. Curious about your thoughts, Juan? Well, I'm glad Juan asked because I have seen Godzilla. Godzilla was the great Italian schlockmeister Luigi Cozy of Star Crash fame took the original Godzilla, the Raymond Burr version that is, Godzilla King of the Monsters, and then colorized it with a very primitive colorization process. I believe it was gels in front of the, uh, yeah, or something like it's that. It's more mood coloring than anything, and also added a lot of strange music, and then added actual footage of after the dropping of the bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Mm. And I think that last edition in particular is pretty tasteless, mm -hmm. because among other things, look, I don't want to look at, I don't want to see that in a Godzilla movie. Yeah. Yeah. actual atrocity footage but also it makes the subtext text in a way that's very kind of trashy and tasteless that said you know if you're a godzilla fan you got to see it once we'll do a patreon episode on it one day i guarantee that and bambi meets godzilla of course we've seen it because it was at the beginning of godzilla 1985 i've seen it many times many times yes it's fun yeah i mean it's one joke yeah well let me dissect it in this <laughs> 20 page essay that i have about you know how godzilla or maybe even japan during the time of its making were encroaching on the u.s manufacturing side as seen in the very gung-ho yeah that's yeah. what i was I, knew it. I can read your mind. <laughs> Look at this. We're like an old married couple. But yeah, Bambi vs. Godzilla. Loved it when I saw it. It even played at the drive-in when we went to go see the Godzilla movie. They had a print of Bambi vs. Godzilla. That's right. I saw, I saw Bambi vs. Godzilla on shimmering 35mm film. <laughs> yep. I don't think we'll be doing a Patreon episode about that. Not much to maybe. talk about. Listen, we've got to cover everything. So. That's right. We're going to cover every movie. And so, thank you very much for that letter. You also asked, what do you think of the Godzilla shows and movie? I know you haven't seen the new one. Godzilla minus one. I'm going to yeah. see it this week, hopefully. And I, I think when he says show, he may be mentioning the Monarch show that's on Apple TV right now, which I know you haven't watched. I haven't watched that. I mean, I'm or is he talking about like Godzilla, the animated series? Wait, so with Godzuki. Yeah, with Go <laughs> Godzuki. Or maybe he's talking about the actually pretty okay Godzilla animated series that was based on the Matthew Broderick version of the... Which I saw a few episodes mm -hmm. of, yeah. Or maybe he's talking about, which I know Will has not seen, the movie kind of animated ones where it's in the post-apocalypse or Netflix films. Right, which I, wa I want to see. I want to see... Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're not that great, right? Yeah, well, the, you know what? They have some big defenders. They're movies where Godzilla does not show up until the end, which I think is unacceptable for animated movies. Mm -hmm. And then there was also a really weird Godzilla show called 
called Godzilla Singular Point, and it was an anime movie. And the only thing that I would get Will to maybe cast an eye towards it is that Jet Jaguar is oh. very present in it. But, but, he's a weird-looking Jet Jaguar. He's like a boxy redesign of him. <laughs> but he's throughout the entire series, and it was one of the first times in kind of like, you know, important mainstream Godzilla media that he became very present again, which then led to like a lot of toys of him being made. Mm. Which, I mean, this is kind of back matter stuff, but isn't it great that like Toho, someone finally got hired and they're like, we could be making money off of this Godzilla stuff. I love it. That like for years, Toho's like, we don't want to go into the North American market because if we do cheap stuff there, it'll cut into the Japanese market. So like we want to make everything as inaccessible as possible or very weirdly released in like, what, this is what you're giving us? But now that Godzilla website, you could get a shirt with Manila in the like wolf pattern from like the famous like wolf shirt. <laughs> but I gotta say, not enough Manila toys. And I want ugly Manila. Give me that, please. I got Justin a small Manila action figure for his wedding. Mm -hmm. I And I very much appreciate it. It's right by my computer right now, just to remind me every time I sit down what I'm doing this all for, <laughs> Manila. And I remember looking when we talked about it recently, or maybe after we went to the drive-in, like, are there any Titanosaurus toys? Oh, I love him. Or are there even any toys of, what's the name? Gabra. Who's oh, in, Godzilla's and, Revenge. Yeah. And the man who wrote Tokyo Scope respond to that and be like, yeah, they're not really available. They're really hard to get. We need a million Gabra toys. Get it out there. I want, yeah, one of those big, big busts you yeah. were talking about of, of, of Gabra. Gabra. And I want to hit him. And he makes that like engine starting noise. Like, yeah, would love that. We're getting there. We're getting there. When we'll, you know, five years from now, we'll be talking about Godzilla. Like we talk about Star Wars and be like, oh, there's too much Godzilla. Like, can't we move on to something else? But we're not quite there yet. All right. Well, thank you, everybody who sent letters. And next week, we're going to talk about Nancy Myers. That's right. The queen of the rom-com. That's Big Sember, right? Yeah. I mean, she's the Stanley Kubrick of the rom-com. That's right. $130 million budgets, baby. <laughs> and it's all up there on screen. And I don't I don't know if I've... How many have I seen? I've You've seen, seen The Holiday. I've seen... No, I haven't. I've okay. seen Something's Gotta Give. Mm. So we're going to watch some, some classic Nancy. The Intern. I've not seen The Intern. Okay. I can't wait to see it. They're yeah. all long, too, aren't they? They're all very long. All yes. right. Hey, I'm going to hang out with my buds, Bobby and Jack and mm. Anne yep. Hathaway. <laughs> You're going to have so much fun with these bad boys. So that's what we're doing next week. Until then, my name is Justin Clue. I'm Will Sloan. Thanks for listening. Remember, we are trying to hit 850 patrons by the end of the month. So if you are not a patron yet... Join because there's so much fun content to be found, especially stuff coming up in December. Boy, we have some fun plans for any Patreon subscriber. But I would still like to thank some of our new patrons who include Benjamin J. Hendrick, Neil MacGiola Chomgale, Devin Border, Nikki, Tyler Gosnell, Sam Hackney, Axel Steele, Aaron Pickadash, Rod Lott, Nick, Damian A. Thorne, Richard Wellens, Kemble McClure, Joel J. Lohman, Joshua Painter, and Michael Starrett. Thank you very much for becoming patrons. We could not keep doing it without you. And remember, if you are a patron into January, I will read 
every name of every single patron that is currently subscribed. So make sure to join now so you will be on that very, very long and exhaustive for me list. I do have a special announcement, a little bit of a plug. I released a brand new zine. It's on... You call it a zine, but... It's basically a book. It's a book, It's 100 yeah. pages. Yep. It's got a spine and everything, but it's the spirit of a zine. It's called The Journal of Stoogeological Studies, an unauthorized Three Stooges fanzine. And Justin DeClue is a contributor. Mm-hmm. I am the editor. So it's basically an important cinema club production. There's a transcript of one of the episodes we did on The Three Stooges, and reading it, I'm like, this is really funny. We're funny. <laughs> yeah, so there's a discussion that we had about The Three Stooges meet hercules as well as a variety of articles about all facets of stooge there's so much good stuff stuff. there's a deep dive into three stooges meet hercules yeah justin wrote an article about the shemp howard film crazy nights Mm -hmm. there are articles about the most essential three stooges shorts and the sort of sort of the weirdest ones too and we also have some heavy hitters in there because who did you interview will so i interviewed drew friedman the great artist who has done so much incredible stooge art about his relationship with the stooges after Will interviewed him like a week or so later, there was suddenly a new Drew Friedman Curly Joe drawing. And I was like, Did oh, I inspire? Did, did you inspire? Maybe. Did you talk about Curly Joe when yeah, you talked? We, yeah, we did. We wow. Did. So maybe you led Drew Friedman to bringing Curly Joe to life again. But then another big gat, Guy Madden, the, yes. <laughs> the great the great Canadian filmmaker, the director of My Winnipeg, Brand Upon the Brain, Saddest Music in the World, many other classics. Guy Madden very, very kindly sat with me and and discuss the Three Stooges mm-hmm. because he also incorporates the Three Stooges into his art. Mm. Uh, so, That's why you reached out because yeah. you saw that he was doing Three Stooges art. Yeah, and, and he was more than happy to talk about it and I just, I, I'm just so tickled, so thrilled to have Guy Madden talking about the Three Stooges in my zine. Well, something like this, Will, was probably going for what, $30, $40? It's going for about $5 US, mm-hmm. a little less actually, you know, about six fifty or so Canadian and that's the lowest price I could put it at because I put out a call for submission you know i'm sure people listening to this now have contributed Mm -hmm. i got a lot of wonderful submissions by people who volunteered their time and labor and i don't i given that i don't think i can really i'm not gonna will is a rich man he needs no more money he just wants to bring the joy of stooges to everyone here's the thing i do the patreon for money Mm -hmm. but i do the stooge zine for love (laughs) and i also do the patreon for love yeah that's right so please do keep subscribing (laughs) and i want people to know there are two comic strips original for the zine about ted healy two ted healy, two comics. Ted healy comics can you believe that so <laughs> <laughs> doesn't he go to hell in both of them <laughs> what <laughs> one's called the violent world of ted healy and the other one is well i'm, I'm not gonna spoil it but okay. you're gonna want to read these comics mm, so if you're a three stooges fan even a three stooges curious we expect you to pick this up bring will to number one on those amazon charts i think it's gettable okay. especially at this price